I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as Disney catalog fans, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Hi, Tuesday. Say what you will about the current state of The Simpsons. There is always one episode that everyone watches. Everyone makes an, an attempt to watch at least one episode of The Simpsons every year. That, of course, is the Treehouse of Horror episodes. Because it's usually the best one of the year, let's be honest. Yeah, it's just... It's a yearly staple at this point. Yeah, ever since they did the first one in season two, it's like, yep, we're going to be doing one every year. And their way of doing all of the bat poop, insane stuff that just either wouldn't work in any other episode or they can get away with doing this much violence because it's a Halloween special. The Simpsons has never been 100% on continuity of course um we talked about that before when we talked about the simpsons but this is the stuff that is absolutely not even trying even when they joke about next time on the simpsons and they're trying to continue the story as a young me was kind of upset that they didn't <laughs> like well we, they ended it with this and they said they were going to continue it next week and they didn't There are some things from the Treehouse of Horror that, as a kid, I kind of wanted them to follow up on. Mm. Like, there was the the one where they revealed that Bart had an evil twin, and then at the end, it was revealed Bart was the evil twin all along, and that explained why Bart was the way he was. (laughs) And I was like, that y'all should just keep that for the show, actually. (laughs) That's... Yeah. (laughs) That's just kind of perfect writing right there. And of course, uh, the it gave us the aliens, Kang and Kodos, which have just become staples of the of the the Treehouse of Horror so- series. It's like you can't do a Treehouse of Horror episode without without the aliens. Yeah. So rather than do full episodes of Treehouse of Horror, uh, we decided that we are going to do our personal favorite segments of the Treehouse of Horror. Uh, episodes simply because we feel we have more to say about these particular segments than the episode as a whole. Uh, if we do not end up talking about your particular favorite Treehouse of Horror segments, uh, we apologize. And in the uh, you know, hit us up on the socials and we'll get a conversation going about those particular segments. Honestly, a lot of our personal favorites got cut from this too this was a real debate between us we've been talking like for the last month we, we uh light a, a little bit of behind the scenes before we record every every week we have like an hour long uh business meeting over what we're going to do next week what we're going to do next month and when it came to halloween we wanted to do treehouse of horror okay what segments are we going to do we kind of had a, a list of 20 different Treehouse of Horror segments, and we had to cut it down. Yeah, this was this was a brutal 
culling of of the list because there's so many that we loved and we finally had to just put in some some rules to to get the list down to where it is so a lot of our personal favorites and ones we campaigned really hard for kind of got uh, thrown out maybe we'll return to those in 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 the future halloween we'll we'll see yeah this was this was fun looking back on some of some of these segments i hadn't just sat down and watched in in a while some of the stuff in these older ones i miss like i miss the warnings at the beginning of the episodes like marge coming out saying this is going to be a very scary episode and if you watch it we don't want to get your angry letters in the mail tomorrow <laughs> yeah you know we we got we got messages from religious groups and they don't want us doing scary things with blood and violence you know it was such a, a fascinating look back on the opening segments because I had kind of forgotten they used to do that. The little I mean, interstitials yeah. and the through lines. The wraparounds. I miss those. I yeah. get I get why they don't have them anymore. Mostly because it's gotta be a tiring experience having to figure out a through line story that connects these three segments that they do every year. And also, let's be real, in the United States, commercial breaks now last longer than when The Simpsons first was on the air. So would you rather cut the actual story segment down or eliminate the wraparound completely? They eliminate the wrapper. I get it, but I kind of miss it. You know, going back and seeing Bart and Lisa telling stories in the treehouse or telling scary stories while this Halloween party is going on or Bart doing a parody of the night gallery. Yeah, a lot of the wraparounds were just parodying old horror shows. They did Twilight Zone. They did Outer Limits. They did Night Gallery. They did Alfred Hitchcock Presents. It was really interesting to go back and watch the little warning segments and that the warning segments would progress you know with marge coming out and being like we want you to know that this episode is scary and then the next year she came out and would be like okay last year i warned you and you didn't listen to me so this year you gotta listen to me and then the year after that would be like Homer coming out or, you know, Bart and her being like, you have to do the warning. You know, they're not listening to us about the warning. <laughs> I dare you to turn off your TV. I dare you. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of interesting to go back because I had honestly forgotten that they used to do that in syndication. No. They had cut out some of those wraparounds to make room for extra commercials. And yeah, that was at a point where Simpsons was at their most controversial. Because here is this cartoon that airs in prime time that was talking about very, in, in a very adult way for television at the time. Sometimes about adult subjects like relationships and sex. And questioning religion. And children were watching this. And it's like, why are you letting your children watch The Simpsons? As I say this as a child of parents who let them watch The Simpsons. 
Yeah, I mean, go back and listen to our episode on The Simpsons, because we we did talk about this. But it was fascinating, though, how angry people got. I mean, we say that now with the sort of things people are getting angry about now, but um, it's it's not really that much has changed. It's just the target. I mean, now it's black mermaids and... Black gay, elves and black elves know. and most recently gay cartoon characters. Yeah, but it was really cool to to have the Simpsons do various pieces like this every year because it introduced kids to a lot of classic horror bits that they wouldn't have known otherwise yeah i mean what young person in 1990 would have watched the twilight zone or the outer me. limits me. yeah I, I i would say that to you you would do that but i'm talking about someone who may not have had you know even in the 1990s not everybody had cable and those shows were kind of restricted to even then i think that was like the sci-fi channel back in the day yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that was if that was when Sci-Fi had started doing their New Year's Day Twilight Zone marathon, but yeah, I mean it was definitely a you had to be up at 2 in the morning kind of kid, which I was even at that age. So, um it it wasn't I will admit to being the the oddball child, but I I do think that this was the gateway for a lot of children to learn about these things. Mm-hmm. You know, when I saw the the Treehouse of Horror and they did like, you know, the Hitchcock reference or the um, Twilight Zone reference. You know, any of the Rod Serling stuff, you know, Twilight Zone or Night Gallery or um, when they did Outer Limits or a lot of the classic horror stuff. Um, I got those already because I was already familiar with the media they were parodying. I know that a lot of people my same age would not have been at the time. And, and that Simpsons would have been their first entry. Yeah, even today there are jokes and gags that originated from other medias that people associate as Simpsons jokes. Like not you know, not realizing that Simpsons, you know, and and we'll talk about that when we when we get to yeah. to one particular episode. But. I mean, uh, a big one is Doctor Hibbert. How many people are aware that that's a parody of Bill Cosby? Yeah. The interesting thing is that when you think about how transformational the the Simpsons was to the culture, it is so fascinating to look at how many people go like, well, that came from the Simpsons not realizing where the Simpsons got a lot of their stuff. Mm-hmm. It is 
so interesting to me to look at where a lot of people are getting their introduction to certain things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes The Simpsons can take a known thing, you know, like whether it's a, a, a Twilight Zone episode or a horror movie or any movie and parody in these uh, parody that particular thing in these shows sometimes it's very good and sometimes they take the formula of that particular thing give it a little twist and make it their own and sometimes it's just oh we're just telling the story in five minutes like you know did we really need a trios of horror segment that was a parody of avatar i realized it was the number one movie of all time at the time kind of still is but they did we really need that in a tree after horror episode yeah it's some of their some of their more recent ones have been a, a bit strange to me as in i'm i'm wondering why they they chose this particular one we're just parodying the most popular film of the past year kind of scenarios. Or even not, you know, not even the past year, you know, necessarily. But they did have some that were, you know, they had one that was like a James Bond parody with Mo. Or um, who remembers? As, as like Goldfinger, you know. Or the one that really boggles my mind. Do you remember a movie called Ballistic X vs. Sever? Yes. And they parody it for Treehouse of Horror with Homer and Marge. Where did that come from and what does that have to do with the Treehouse of Horror? So there was this weird time where it was just let's parody a popular movie. Or a movie that had some sort of... Uh, uh, recognition through the year and whether it made sense for Treehouse of Horror or not. Yeah. I mean, I remember the one that you're talking about and I think that was more the the Brad Pitt Angelina Jolie movie. What was that one called? Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, I think. Yeah. They were trying like to do. But yeah, that um, X vs. Sever movie was a, kind of a similar similar idea but also a little bit also a little bit of true lies in that parody yeah i mean it's it's kind of an old you know old hat kind a, old, of thing. old idea but some of some of them were just what where did this come from and i think it was just treehouse of horror is the one place they used to be able to do these little interstitial bits now they have a second outlet for it yeah, which the are these disney weird plus shorts. little disney plus shorts that really do not have a point to give tom hiddleston another cameo i mean that if there is a point that is that is the point and that's a good point i mean i'm i'm all for that point keep keep that point up thank you but um those are the only good ones. And the, par- the two that he are in are the only good ones. The other ones are kind of like, why does this even exist? But yeah, apparently we're getting a two Treehouse of Horror episodes this year. 
Not sure how that's going to work, but... um, They're trying to make up for not having done one in season one. (laughs) Apparently. Um, I I think it was just that they, they had ideas that they couldn't fit in anywhere else. You know? Um, for some of these weird ones, you know, it's like, well, we can't really do this as a normal Simpsons episode, and it's not good enough an idea to be 22 minutes anyway. Mm-hmm. So we can do it for three or four minutes. Um, I kind of wonder if we might start getting more of the Disney Plus shorts that are just we've had a weird idea that it's not necessarily a Halloween thing. It's not, but it's, we had an odd idea based on a current trend or, you know, something it won't fit into our normal continuity. It won't, but we, we might do it and we might could get a celebrity cameo and we might, you know, this has always been the treehouse of, of horror has always been, fun little break in Simpsons because it's been the one thing that doesn't really have to explain itself other than it's Halloween and we wanted to. Yeah. So we picked a a bunch of our favorites and we're, we're going to go through them now. As the cast, it's the cast of the Simpsons. You know who they are. (laughs) Yeah. Um, there's really only one of these that has a guest star of note, and it's right up here at the top. For our first pick, we've got right up here in the first installment with The Simpsons doing their version of Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. Yep, from Treehouse One. Beauty about James Bill Jones is that he's in all three of these segments. Uh, Bad Dream House, he's the moving guy. Hungry Are the Dam, he's one of the aliens. But he really gets to show his his true talents. That beautiful, beautiful voice of that beautiful, beautiful man reading the Raven. So much so that he did a separate recording of this, separate from The Simpsons, that people listen to every year. Like this, it's, it's their Halloween tradition, separate from The Simpsons, just to hear. James Earl Jones reading The Raven. And it's it's a good recording if you've never heard it. Our setup of this particular segment, uh, yeah, it's called, the, the entire thing is called Treehouse of Horror because it started with Lisa and Bart telling scary stories in the treehouse. Ah. Yeah. So this particular, I, you know. Yeah, they did not really expect this, I don't think, to be a yearly event. I, I really just thought that I really think that they were just like, oh, you know, let's do a Halloween episode this one year. We've got an idea for three little short films. They wrote this one and it proved like their biggest episode of the year. So they were like, oh, I guess we're going to have to do that next year. And this really is the only one of any of the segments of any of the ones with interstitials that actually puts the interstitials as part of the of the episode of the segment because we're constantly cutting back and forth to Bart and Lisa in the treehouse and the fictional world of uh, Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven yeah and Homer sitting outside listening 
to Lisa read the the poem to Bart. I mean, even outside of the full episode, just this entire segment of Bart doing the old fake chokes and then Lisa just reading a book. I mean, by itself, it, you can just show that one segment to somebody and they'll get it. And I do like that she is reading it from her school textbook. Because when she starts reading the poem to to Bart, um, because the first the first two bits from this episode are based off of movies, uh, Poltergeist and Amityville uh, horror is the the first one. It's it's kind of just a generic haunted house story, and uh, then. The second one is the To Serve Man episode from Twilight Zone. Um, but this one is just, they just do the, the Raven. Yeah, um, no twists, no turns. This is just straight reading of Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. I mean, there are jokes in it, but it is the narrative of The Raven. They don't really change the narrative at all. They don't change the language either. It's just the poem. And I think their way of the twist is cutting back to Bart and Lisa. Yeah, I mean, there are little bits where Bart and Homer within the narrative will interject their own language. Uh, But... The Raven, eat my shorts, Bart! (laughs) Yeah, or or, um, Homer trying to, you know, strangle... Yeah. The the raven in the form of Bart, you know, as Homer is kind of want to do in the show. But this is a, a shockingly accurate version of the raven for the Simpsons. And the fact that they used the poem as straight dialogue, like... Like, Dan Casclunetta as Homer is really giving this great Shakespearean-level performance reading the poem. You're putting a lot of emotion into it. Like, I've never heard this the poem performed quite like this as if it were a play, as if it were an actual television special. And the interesting thing is, if you know anything about the life of Edgar Allan Poe, you know that this is sort of how he went around and did his own poetry and his short stories, too. But he would go and perform for people. So if you were alive at the same time as Poe, um, and of course, you know, in an area, you know, if you were in like the the Baltimore area and stuff, you could have seen him perform this for you in kind of this way uh, as a sort of one-man play. So... Interestingly, when you're talking about the Raven, the Simpsons way of doing it is almost kind of the traditional way of hearing the Raven. So for those of you who may not know what the Raven is, the story of the poem is here is this guy. He is mourning the loss of his lover, Lenore. 
and he decides that he's going to escape his mourning, escape his grief by reading a book of, quote, forgotten lore. Kind of gets, kind of ends up falling asleep, having a bit of a nightmare that wakes him back up where he gets him back into his, his little grieving of his lost Lenore. He hears knocking. He's scared crapless because wouldn't you be if you if you were woken up from your nap by knocking at your chamber door Ooh, spooky yeah. knocking i mean you're asleep you're unconscious you're in dreamland and then it's in bang 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 you know it startles our, our narrator i guess we'll just call him homer because we're talking about the the treehouse of horror version it's the, the, the knock is not coming from the door. The knocking is coming from the window. So he opens the window. Here comes the raven. And as a joke, Homer says, Hey, what's your name, little raven? What do I call you? Nevermore. And in, 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 the, uh, in the narration, he, uh, our narrator, Homer, figures, well, he's probably fu- uh, has a, an upset owner. That has somehow taught him this word, nevermore. And he kind of wonders aloud, Oh, Lenore, I miss you. Oh, Lenore, I love you. I wish we were together. Is there a chance that maybe, just maybe, that we could be reunited in heaven when I go? Quote the raven, nevermore. Which uh, doesn't make Homer very happy. I mean, how would you feel if someone or something straight up told you, no, you will not meet your loved ones in the afterlife? Which, of course, leads us to the chase. Why you little, you know. And the the gag of Bart the Raven dropping every other background post story on Homer's head. Yeah, there's a, uh, there's a lot of little Easter eggs in that, <laughs> that bookshelf. That <laughs> poem ends. That the raven is still sitting there, sitting on this busted path that sits upon his chamber door. And the lamp casts a shadow on the raven, and the shadow is, is uh, booming over, over Homer, our narrator, downing his spirits. And his spirits will be lifted nevermore. All around the story is kind of bleak. You know, he's, he's, he's kind of gotten lost in his grief for the lost Lenore. And I think that's done pretty well in the Simpsons version. Especially, you know, he, he, he fantasizes of angels above him, which they have it as, as Lisa and, and Maggie. And his, his, his contempt for the raven, believing that the raven was not sent by the angels, but sent by demons and whatnot. I just, I really like the, the Simpsons version because it, it has the Simpsons humor to it, but also it, is a really good retelling of the poem and it understands the themes of the poem perfectly well even you know homer laughing off you know he's reading uh, the the lines and performing the lines but his his you know all of homerisms are are there in the lines you know laughing off certain things and the 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 way he he winds his voice when he talks about Lenore Marge and like they really get it and they're able to have the 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 story told as is 
and still have that Simpsons charm to it. It's a fascinating way to show the general flow of the poem while still getting a child interested in it. I mean, you know, we've we've talked about the fact that Simpsons wasn't specifically for children, of course. They knew by this point that they had a lot of younger viewers. So it was a really interesting kind of, you know, Poe for kids kind of, yeah. kind of way. Um, and even if you didn't understand the words, since it's straight up untranslated, unadapted Poe, the emotions from Homer are enough to kind of get you to understand what he's trying to say. The sadness when he talks about Lenore, the anger when he talks about the raven. And it yeah. kind of works as part of uh, the narrator's grieving process. And, you know, if you want to take it one way, it kind of shows what happens when you let grief consume you. Yeah, and the, and the final despair from Homer at the at the end. I I really love and of course I was the the weird kid that was already reading Poe by this point. I had a small volume of The Raven and other poems. You know, that was just kind of some of Poe's most famous works as far as the the poetry none of the none of the short stories or you know novellas or any any of that in in fact i i still have it to this day it was one of my most read read things as a child uh i used to carry it with me everywhere it was already practically falling apart by the time the simpsons episode came out <laughs> because i would read it so much practically every night um so I could already quote the Raven by the time this episode came out. And when I saw that they, they had done it, I was just fascinated. Um, and I thought this was just the greatest thing. It immediately became one of my favorite bits from the Simpsons. And of course, as, as, as we exit the world of the Raven, we see there are kids, and they're not scared of the story at all, which uh, which Bart mentions. It's kind of like Friday the 13th Part 1. It's kind of tame by today's standards, but it's probably really scary when it came out. <laughs> which, Bart, is it wrong? Well, the thing is, is that most children, for good reason, have not experienced the sort of horror you need to experience to understand why the raven is scary. The raven deals with grief and loss of a loved one. Bart and Lisa are too young. It is a it is grief and existential dread of mortality. And you know, Bart and Lisa are like 8 and 10. They haven't experienced that yet. Yeah, and and most children, fortunately, do not in the modern world 
it is something that typically comes with age. You tend to age into the Raven being a horror story. Like Um, Homer, who is just scared out of his gourd. Yeah. We do, however, see that Homer, a man in his 30s, is much more terrified by the Raven uh, sitting outside listening on the edge of the treehouse. Yeah, he doesn't, you know, don't turn off the light, Marge. It's like, oh, Homer, it's just a children's story. <laughs> yeah, but but we see that it, it's not. It's the exact opposite of that. It's, yeah. it's you know, Poe was writing for an adult audience. Um, children do not, um, and hopefully should not, um, if they are lucky, mm-hmm. understand the the horror of this particular poem. We teach this a lot in middle school or high school to children. I mean, I know I learned it at about that age as part of schooling, at least in high school at the very latest. I don't know about you, um, but it was part of my curriculum as as part of American literature. And I think that is both right and wrong. Um, it is right that it should be taught. It's classic of American literature. But it is one of those things that is more understandable as you age and sadly do experience more loss. And you're also, you're also, I mean, kind of peeling back the curtain, you're someone who experienced great loss at a young age. Yeah, I mean, Poe, as someone who's writing, spoke a lot to loss. I mean, a lot of his work is about grief and working through grief and dealing with death and the reality of death and reflecting on one's own mortality there was a lot of death uh, around me as a child um and a lot of loss and grief so poe spoke to me a lot more as a child than i think he does to a lot of younger people um and I think for a lot of people, if Poe's work is going to resonate with you, a lot of people age into Poe as they come to understand those themes uh, just by their own life experience, sadly, or as they come to start to contemplate their own aging and their own mortality in some way um i think his work starts to resonate for me personally yes that came at a much younger age than it does for a lot of people you know i was kind of on i was vibing on his level (laughs) um at at a at a much different 
age than I think a lot of people do. It's it's really interesting to watch kind of how that works. You know, I mean, we got our our good friend MC Lars who mm-hmm. teaches uh Poe and specifically the Raven uh Se- to school songs. children. He's written through se- through rap through song. Yeah. Yeah, he does he does rap and I have personally uh facilitated him doing that uh for assemblies of school children before and I've watched his presentations on Poe and how he uses music and specifically rap music to teach Poe's work to younger children um, and, and, and high schoolers. And very little of, of his Poe raps are changed from the original text. Yeah, he, 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 he uses the text as, as faithfully as possible. Um, and the original meter and rhyme scheme uh, t- just with modern beats behind it and modern rap techniques who's that who's that rapping who's that rapping at my chamber door mr mr raven all up in my grill like nevermore uh to teach uh school children about uh the principles of poetry and rhyme and rhythm meter you know all all of these poetry terms uh and also about the themes of poe's work specifically and he's very compelling and when i've seen him do it it's very well received by the students um so uh he's been incredibly effective at doing that uh and i think that things like you know and he was he's a massive simpsons fan as well um and was very much inspired by the sort of work done by people like matt Groening. i'm sure that this episode in particular was probably very influential for him. The thing about using these kind of techniques, just speaking as someone who's worked in education, is you have to meet people where they're at. These techniques, you know, a lot of people want to be like, well, don't lower literature to the you know, form of where the lower masses are, whatever. But that's so wrong, you know? Meet people where they're at and show them what's going on. Provide them a gateway, you know? Don't be a gatekeeper. Be the gateway. And... I cannot imagine how many people were like, what's this poem they're talking about? Is this a 
a faithful version or, you know, when they saw the Simpsons and then later they got introduced to it in school and they're like, oh, hey, I, I know that I saw it on Simpsons. And they were more receptive to it when the teacher brought it up rather than being like eh, another boring thing we got to learn in school. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, I'm sure a lot of teachers had to do with, like, quote the raven, eat my shorts in class. But it's worth it because at least the students were listening. Bravo, because I'd much rather more of this sort of thing as a gateway to be like, hey, go go look up this guy in this really cool poem and think about it. Because honestly, I... I love this poem and I love the, the things it has to say. And it's one of those things that gets deeper every time you think about it. Uh, but it's, it's such a good segment. And if you haven't seen it in a while, go watch it. Cause it really, every time you watch it, especially if you haven't, if you watched it when you were younger and you haven't seen it, you know, now that you're older, go watch it again because it it hits a little different. So let's go to our second segment that we're going to be talking about from Treehouse of Horror to the Bart Zone, a.k.a. Bart's Nightmare. Our wraparound segment here is the kids have, have are home from trick-or-treating and they gorge on candy. Homer as well. And Marge warns them, hey, if you eat too much candy, you're going to have nightmares. Oh, yeah, we're all going to have nightmares. Yeah, three nightmares. What are the odds of that? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> of course, we have the one of the most. This is one we had to cut for this episode was the monkey's paw. Lisa's nightmare. Which, which is a good one and one we really wanted to do. But we uh, we decided on the Bart Zone from this one instead. So, yeah. And this is also this is based off Twilight Zone episode, probably one of, if not the most popular episode of the Twilight Zone. It's a good life. For those of you who may not know about this episode of the Twilight Zone, we have a young boy who has psychic powers. He can read minds. He can change people into different things. He can banish people to the cornfields. And it's a good thing Anthony did that. It's a real good thing. Might be listening. Yeah. Dumb when we still alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Please don't hurt us, Bill Mimi. I really uh, like Barnes and Barnes. <laughs> yeah. And um, Babylon 5, too. We really like Babylon 5. Yeah. And then um, that one episode of Deep Space Nine you were in. Really good episode of Deep Space Nine. Lost in Space um, was good. <laughs> No, but this is uh if you if you don't remember it right right off the right off the bat, it's also known as the Cinnamon to the Cornfield episode uh of the of the Twilight Zone. The really interesting thing is that um they when they did the uh short lived revival series of Twilight Zone in two thousand two, not the one with Jordan Peele. That just most recently aired, but they did one in 2002. Forrest was Whitaker a, was the host, yeah, I believe. Yeah, Forrest Whitaker was the host of that one, and it was a really, really good series. I, I'm just going to say, uh, that revival series was 
does not get enough credit. They did an episode that was a sequel called It's Still a Good Life. And a daughter. Where, yeah, where Anthony had grown up and had a daughter who had the same powers. And now Anthony was the one being uh, kind of terrorized. And Bill Moomy's daughter, Liliana, played Anthony's daughter. It was kind of interesting to watch him, to watch that original character, uh, Anthony, be kind of get his comeuppance because his daughter was more powerful than him. And she sent the whole town to the cornfield. <laughs> yeah, she sent literally the entire world, you know, spoiler alert for that episode, but she sent literally the entire world except for her and her father into the cornfield. It was just the two of them. She had sent her mother away because her mother had, you know, so he had lost his wife. He had lost it, you know, I mean, and eventually he lost the entire world. It was just the two of them. And now he had to be her plaything, you know, I mean, it just, it was such a terrifying, you know, end for that. But uh, it was really kind of fascinating. And there have been lots of, lots of versions of this. Well, it's uh, on the movie. Yeah, I mean, Twilight Zone, the movie, did it. Um, but even outside of Twilight Zone, there there have been uh, other other versions outside of The Simpsons. Uh, you know, uh, Black Mirror had an episode that was kind of like this. Um, one of the Fallout games has a quest where you end up in a world that's kind of like this where you don't want to make the creepy child upset with you you know it's like um, and 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 for the disney fans the opening narration for it's a good life was the basis for the opening narration for the tower of terror ride yeah a different kind of episode requires a different kind of opening narration so we we get the Simpsons take on it, and of complete course, with it, complete with Rod Sterling narration. Yeah, or we, Rod Sterling impersonator. We get the bit with the the narrator talking about, you know, a utopia where everybody thinks good thoughts, and they have to make sure not to anger the devil at the center of it. The devil is a ten-year-old boy, but you didn't see that one coming. You know, it's like Op openly saying, "Yeah, we're parroting that episode." <laughs> yeah, uh, but it is it is interesting that the stuff that Bart does with his powers, because the the stuff Anthony did in Twilight Zone was a little more subtle. You know, if you weren't directly in the room with Anthony, you were a, a little more safe. You know, you could kind of go about your life unless you saw him coming, and then you had to think good thoughts. But it seems like everyone in town all the time in Springfield constantly has to think good thoughts or else Bart will know all the time. Poor Jasper. <laughs> yeah, poor Jasper. He uh, thinks like, man, this is stupid, and then just turn into a dog. <laughs> yeah, but it is kind of weird watching Bart go through school 
and making Skinner sing Hello My Baby just over and over all day long. And Sherry and Terry have to bring him milkshakes constantly. Taking the concept of the episode and making it work within the world of The Simpsons. Like, yeah. this could be a, just a regular Simpsons episode because all of the main characters are here. Even the, a lot of the side characters. Like I said Principal Skinner, Mrs. Krabappel is here, you know? Mo. Yeah, what he does to Mo, though, is fascinating because it shows what he really wants to be doing with the phone calls to Mo. Like, the prank phone calls are not a way to be witty. He's not doing that because he thinks that the jokes themselves are funny. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, he he's not coming up with prank names because he thinks the prank names are funny. If he could just make Mo say random Stupid insulting things. things over the phone, he would... But he knows he'd never get Mo to say that. That would be too obvious. I got a big stupid butt and I like to kiss my own butt. Yeah, it's it. that's what he wants Mo to say. However, he knows Mo will never say that if, if he just says that plainly. Mm-hmm. So he has to come up with the, the ridiculous names and, and stuff like that to trick Mo in the in the real world. But I like that with the freedom to just force Mo to say anything, that that's what he would force Mo to say, uh, which I kind of find interesting. The, the sad thing is, is that this episode, unlike the Twilight Zone episode, is a bit, a bit more sad because in the original episode... Anthony just seems to be a petulant child who never learned self-control. It's the absolute power corrupts absolutely. Anthony doesn't know right from wrong. Bart does. Yeah, but the thing is, is that Anthony's stuff comes from no one was, had ever figured out a way to to teach him empathy without him sending them away. You know, nobody had the power to make him stop. And think even about in the original, epi- even in the original episode, they were thinking of uh, icing, uh, taking out poor Anthony, despite the fact that he's a child. <laughs> well, be- because they, they never came up with a way to teach him empathy Without resorting to violence or anger, you know that there are there are ways to explain empathy to children without Anthony sit down and be quiet now, you know like but that is and was at the time. I think the idea of the show at the time was what if you had a child with ultimate power and nobody there to like, you know, discipline him properly, you know, it's like, you know, like what if you couldn't make that child sit in the corner or worse, you know, (laughs) like, yeah, it's a very much a, you know, retributive discipline 
idea, which I think is very 1960s. <laughs> but idea. because this is 19, 1990s, uh, Marge just takes part to therapy. Which, weirdly, is kind of the solution. Because we discover that Anthony's problem was that he never really learned empathy. Bart's problem is that he just wanted his dad to pay attention to him. Yeah. Like, Homer was too busy watching football and stuff, and Bart was just kind of being like, Hi, remember you have a kid? Pay attention to me. And the therapist points out rightfully that Bart wants attention so badly that he doesn't care if the attention comes from having good grades or turning Homer into a giant jack-in-the-box. Which is from the original episode. Which, which is from the original episode. The the horrible moment where he where Anthony turns a guy into a jack-in-the-box and then the other people start screaming, please send it away in the cornfield. Please send it away into the cornfield. But in this one, we actually get a slightly happier resolution, which was Bart starts going on father-son trips with Homer jack-in-the-box. And they get closer. <laughs> yeah. To the point where Bart actually forgives Homer and restores him back to his original body. At which point Bart wakes up screaming from the nightmare. Because this is this is Bart's nightmare. What's the worst thing Bart could have? His father telling him he loves him. Yeah. But it is a more fascinating look into Bart's psyche, which is that Probably within the context of The Simpsons, a lot of Bart's behavior probably is just, hey, mom and dad, could you pay attention to me a little bit? And I, had... I would really like a hug from my dad rather than him choking me and screaming at me all the time. But from the purposes of the show, at least early Simpsons, Homer's either Homer's at work and Marge is taking care of the baby. Or Homer's at the bar. Yeah. I mean, he goes from work to Moe's to the couch to watch TV. Mm. The the In the early Simpsons days, most of what we see as bonding between Homer and Bart is watching TV. So, yeah, so maybe if they, she had bonding time in the series proper, their relationship would be better, but... As this episode points out, that is the worst thing that could happen to Bart. Is having a loving relationship with his father. Well, a lot I mean, about Bart. Wor worst, but it's, it's more that what Bart I don't, wants. I don't think it's probably what Bart wants, but just I don't think Bart knows how to handle it. I mean. It's a situation where, you know, ask anyone who's been in a toxic relationship with anybody. When they're in a healthy relationship, sometimes they don't know how to handle that. Yeah, and I think that's what Bart's nightmare is about here. It's like, he wants to, to have the healthy relationship with his dad, but he doesn't know what that would look like. He has no context for that. All right, so we'll we'll move on to Treehouse Three, 
This is another one where we had to cut one because we were juggling between Clown Without Pity and Dial Z for zombies. You killed the zombie Flanders. He was a zombie. (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, we did have to cut Dial Z for zombies from this list. So we are going to be talking about Clown Without Pity from Treehouse 3. Another one based off a Twilight Zone episode, Living Doll. With a little bit of child's play thrown in, since that was the movie of the time. My name is Talkie Tina, and I don't like you. Yeah, the original Twilight Zone episode, based off an actual existing doll called Chatty Cathy. Chatty Cathy, oh Chatty Cathy. Sorry. So on this one, it's Talkie Tina. A stepfather tends to, uh, after coming into a family, kind of uh, resents his uh, new stepdaughter, starts being mean to her, and then her doll, Takitina, starts talking to the stepfather, saying that he doesn't like him. And throughout the episode, it's kind of debated whether Takitina is actually doing anything, or whether the father is simply having some sort of guilt for mistreating his stepdaughter until the very end where Takitina straight up trips the stepfather falling in down the stairs breaking its neck and then she starts and then Takitina starts talking to the mom I'm my name is Takitina and you'd better be nice to me and of course child's play because it is a male doll and unlike the Twilight Zone episode we straight up see the doll trying to kill Homer with a butcher knife, which of course is Chucky's preferred weapon. The overall wraparound of, the, of of this episode is it's a Halloween party, and they're telling scary stories at a Halloween party. And I I, just... I love I love Marge trying to to scare them with you know like the the, the, the old, old witch's witch thing. Yeah, the the this is the witch's hair. This is the witch's eyeballs. Bart's like, we haven't gotten the eyeballs or the hair yet. And then like Homer's just eating all the food items. <laughs> That's always been one of my favorite jokes. Like Homer, <laughs> he's like, what? It was stupid anyway. <laughs> so the uh, the episode opens. It's Bart's birthday. Homer has. Of course, forgotten to give Bart a a present, so he runs out to the closest store, which sells cursed items. And of course, this is this is the short that has the famous, "That's good, that's bad, that's good." Can I go home now? So yeah, the Froyo is also cursed. The Froyo is also cursed. Yes. So yeah. So so uh, if you ever seen that scene, this is where it's from. And of course, we get the nice little 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 nod to the original. Twilight Zone episode. My name's Krusty and I love you very much. And of course, uh, as the episode goes on, Krusty starts killing Homer. I'm Krusty. I don't like you. I'm Krusty. I'm going to kill you. You, Homer Simpson! Of course, leading to one of the funniest lines in Simpsons history. Mars, Mars, the doll's trying to kill me and the toast has been laughing at me. Yeah. I don't know what the what's the beef between Homer and the toaster, but I've always wanted to know. Of course, this also has one of my other favorite moments, which is my baloney has a first name, it's H O M E R. My baloney has a second name, it's H O M E R. 
That's another joke that the modern generation is not going to get. Yeah. As much as as much as I absolutely loathe commercials on like a deep spiritual level, I do miss a good commercial jingle. Oh uh, yeah, the old Oscar Mayer Wiener. Oh, yeah. the old Oscar Mayer Ham jingle. My baloney has a first name. It's a O S C A R. Yeah. I mean. You can tell how much I love a commercial jingle by the fact that just within this segment, I have been able to say two of them. And one of them is so far before my time. Yeah. Like, Chatty Cathy dolls were not even still... I mean, those were off the market well before I was even born. (laughs) Um, The, uh... I was such a weird child that, like, by the time this episode of The Simpsons aired, I was like, wow, this whole thing is, like, Chucky and the Living Doll episode of The Twilight Zone, in which they were parodying the Chatty Cathy doll which was voiced by June Foray, and also I can sing you the Chatty Cathy jingle. And I'm like, how old was I when this episode aired? <laughs> this episode aired at, like, I was 10. I'm a 10-year-old that can do all of that. I'm like, I'm like, that's a doll from, like, the 1960. <laughs> and I'm a 10-year-old in the 90s. Is this the first instance of us ge- learning about uh, whether uh, Patty or Selma's uh, sexuality? I I don't know, but it might be. That's one of the few things from Treehouse of Horror that I think is legitimately in the main canon of the show. You know, Homer Homer runs out of the bathroom naked, and then she. I forget which one says it. There goes the last strain of my heterosexuality. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that may that may be the first time that it was mentioned. And it may be one of the few things from Treehouse of Horror that actually, I, I forget the timeline on that. But yeah. This episode is really fun for me because I am one of the biggest Chucky fans Especially ever. the, and you know, as we are talking, the new season of the show is, is out. Yeah, and I've already, I mean, I've already, I've already watched the, the first episode of the new season, which is all that's aired as we're recording this. Uh, so good. Yeah, so wa- watching this, I was like, yeah, it's you know I'm I'm such a huge Brad Dorf fan, uh. So this is such a a cool episode for me, and I think this was when we were talking about what segments do we want to do. I think this was the first one both of us immediately were like, we have to do Clown Without Pity. Yeah. Um, this this one was the no brainer one, uh just because it's possibly the most classic uh, Treehouse of Horror that they've ever done. And and, and the bit of a B-plot with uh, 
Krusty Doll and Malibu Stacy. Yeah, where where Krusty keeps like passing by Malibu Stacy and being like, "Hey, what's up?" Uh, even though we we keep having the the bit where Krusty the Krusty Doll keeps changing size. There's not yeah. a consistent size between how big the Krusty Doll is. It's that that has to be a reference to Child's Play. Going from the prop doll to the little person in a costume. Yeah, it, although eventually in the Child's Play series, they kind of finally equalized that. They finally got the the bit. It, it was it was in the early movies. It was a problem where the dolls and the puppets and the uh, actor in the costume when they needed it to move right never quite the sizes never quite matched up but now they've gotten it all equalized where it's like okay we've got actors that are exactly this size when we need it and we've got animatronics that are exactly this size and we've got the dolls when people need to hold the doll it is exactly this, you know, they've, they've equalized it all so that every time you see a Chucky or a Tiffany doll, they always look exactly the same size. And anytime you see it move or it's an animatronic or whatever, it always looks the same size. Um, so, uh, it's, it's all now it's all fine, but you know, back at the time this episode was made, that was a, a fair kind of criticism of the series the thing going back and forth with them wondering is homer just losing his mind because the toy can't possibly be doing anything uh is also good because that comes up of course both in the living doll episode and in the child's play series oh this is 1990 so we're a few years shy from uh from uh toy story (laughs) Yeah. Do you remember that they actually did make, I mean, it was years later, but they actually did make a talking Krusty doll based on this episode? Did it have the switch from good to evil? It it did have the switch from good to evil, and I used to have it, and then it was, uh, I I lost it in a breakup. (laughs) Ooh. Yeah, um, but it was... It was uh, really cool. It came in a box that looked very similar to the box from the episode. I mean, it was it was really great. They did a really good job, and it had a little string on the back you could pull, and it would say all the, the lines from the episode. And depending on whether or not you had it switched from good to evil, it would t- say two sets of lines. <laughs> so you could make it say the, you know... They're like, I'm crusty and I love you. Or you could say, I'm crusty and I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you, Homer Simpson. I'm going to, you know, like it actually had the the lines from the episode, depending on which way the switch was set. It was really, really cool. What kind of manufacturer has an evil switch on a doll? Yeah. Crusty, apparently. Crusty. Well, I mean, he's crusty and he endorses this event and or product. Yeah. And that was actually on the box as well. Yeah. Th- that, of course, being the 
the kicker of the episode that the the doll was set to evil and you just have to flip the switch and it'll be fine. And then Homer turns the doll into a servant and we end the episode with Krusty going back to the Malibu Stacy dream house. And this is another ending that even at our age, we would not get because it's an ending to an episode of love American style, but the hard and that, 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 yeah, it is it is a very kind of strange throwback. <laughs> you can tell the age of the people who were writing this episode. Yeah. But poor poor crusty doll that he just like is like coming home after a long day of drudgery serving Homer. <laughs> yeah. Oh pray for Mojo, pray for Krusty. <laughs> yeah. But all in all, it's a pretty good parody of the, you know, evil doll uh, style of uh, storytelling. So we'll move on to Treehouse 5. And probably one of the most well-known of these parodies, parodies, The Shining. Obviously a parody on The Shining. It's The Shining. Do you want to get sued? <laughs> uh... You wanna you wanna go run through the, the run through quickly the plot of The Shining. <laughs> um, alcoholism is bad. Don't do alcoholism. W- was that a good enough run through of the plot of The Shining, or do we sure. need more? <laughs> Red rum. Hello, Mrs. Torres. No, no Come I mean play uh, with no. Us. <laughs> no, no, I mean uh, yeah, no, the the uh, family gets job. Uh, as caretakers of a hotel over the winter, they're going to be the only ones there. The problem is all work and no play makes Jack dull boy. And uh, the uh, the father goes bonker doodles and starts uh, chopping up his family. And there may or may not be ghosts, but uh, probably it's just uh, alcoholism. So yeah, in this in, in in this version of events, we have also Homer... the little kid is psychic. That yeah yeah, the little kid is psychic. <laughs> yeah. Though not sending kids to the cornfield. <laughs> yeah. No, we he don't... can't. He can't do anything with his brain. He's just you know telepathic. Kind of want to see them come back to this in a future one and then parody Doctor Sleep. I mean, it it might be it might be fascinating to. To see them do a sequel to the one they've done before. I, I don't I don't think they've actually done any of the sequels to the ones they've done. But you know, if if they were gonna do one, you know, this would be the one. Yeah, anyway. no, it'd be it'd be a great one. The thing about it is though, is that I like their take on it, which was that instead of alcoholism being the kind of slow spiral that leads to uh, Jack's loss of his grip on reality. The Simpsons kind of has it be the opposite. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mr. Burns, who owns this this hotel, takes the beer away and then cuts and, the cable. And cuts the cable feed because it's his way of getting more out of his employee. That if the beer and the TV are not there to distract Homer, 
Homer will theoretically work harder because there will be no free time. No, distra- no distractions. Yeah. That ends up being the the reason that Homer snaps is because he has no outlet, no free time. Which is kind of a fascinating commentary because I I won't say it's more faithful to reality, of course, because that would downplay the original, you know. It's more faithful to the Simpsons. Well, it's more faithful to the Simpsons, but I was going to say, you know, I I don't want to downplay the very real thing that, that Stephen King initially was trying to talk about and deal with in writing the original story. But the commentary in the Simpsons is at least equally as important, which is that if you don't give people leisure time and ability to stress relief, I'm not necessarily saying that alcohol is particularly the greatest at that, um, but, you know, there is no outlet for Homer. He doesn't have any recreational activity. He has no friends. He can't go bowling. He has no television. He has nothing. So there is no way for him to de-stress from his job. It is within the context of at least this short what leads him to snap violently so in this case but it doesn't necessarily have to be given when we're recording this we've kind of all been through a similar thing recently you know yeah when a lot of people had to stay inside and not see friends or family not go out as much not you know a lot of people lost a lot of their stress relief measures and everybody knows the stresses that that caused in their own life you know it's not good for people to be left without stresses and Um, some people did resort to violence unfortunately so um, but even the ones, even the ones that didn't, you know, it's not a good, a good place to be in. Um, so it's weird when you get these kind of intersections of the Simpsons accidentally speaking to real issues that I don't think they were necessarily like. Let's talk about a serious topic via the, you know, I'm not sure that ever came up in the writer's room, but it is bizarre when it does come up by accident, you know, because I think these are the sorts of things that are just in the background stew of people's brains where you have things like no beer and no TV make Homer go crazy, you know? Mm -hmm. But it's a really interesting moment of the bit where Willie meeting Bart and 
Bart reading his mind and him being like, ah, you you have the shinning. And uh, when when your dad goes crazy and tries to kill you, just send me a message with your brain. And I'll come and help, you know, except for the other three and four. That's Billy's time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. It show. I mean, right at the beginning of this short, they say this has happened before. They think, you know, Mr. Burns uh, taking away the beer and cutting the cable. Didn't that also have the last caretakers murder their family? Uh, well, if it happens again, I'll, I owe you a Coke. That that was kind of the point of The Shining as well, is that, you know, this isn't the first time that's happened to the Overlook either. The previous caretaker had killed his family and then himself in the hotel. That's why they needed Jack and his family. <laughs> so that's <laughs> not just a Simpsons th- yeah. thing that they made up. Like, but that's, it's, that's directly the way it was said. I mean, I'm talking more of yeah. the way it was said. Like, yeah, no, I mean, that, it's, a, it's a funny joke of him like being like, well, you know, I'll owe you a Coke if it happens again. But honestly, I, I mean capitalism you know i mean it's like isn't that just like mr burns though yeah i I mean he does that all the time at the plant in the in the main show it's just like uh you know smithers is always coming in being like well sir haven't we already lost four guys to this same thing and burns being like well, if we lose five more, it'll be, a, you know, I'll get a punch card on my next pizza or something. You know, it's like <laughs> there's there's just always a thing, you know? I mean, I, I kind of wondered, wondered why they didn't do the Sherry and Terry come play with us, Bart. But I assume there was just no time in the short to do that. But they they, they found a way to put the uh, the elevator full of blood. I, I I love the joke about that's weird. The blood usually gets off on level two. Homer does find a bit of stress relief. Stress eating. Well, yeah, after after Marge locks him in the in the freezer. Like he just can't can't murder now eating. I love the little bit of of Homer breaking in and going like, here's Johnny. And then that's in the wrong not, room. <laughs> and then he's the wrong room. And then he like goes into the next room and does the what's David the, what's the, Letterman. Yeah, David Letterman. And then he goes in and then he's like, and I'm morally safer and all that. And Andy Rooney on sixty minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> of course it leads to the running gag of the entire uh special. Of uh, of all of Treehouse Five is that Willie tries to save the day and he ends up with an axe in his back. It happens in the shitting, happens in Time and Punishment, happens in Nightmare Cafeteria. Oh, I'm bad at this. <laughs> yeah, and and Marge's joke as as he lands, going like, "Oh, I hope that rug was Scotch guarded." It's just maybe one of the worst jokes in The Simpsons. <laughs> like, <laughs> such a bad pun. Yeah, and then of course the the resolution being that that Homer finds Willie's little portable TV and sits out in the snow and then has one of my my favorite Simpsons lines urge to kill fading 
fading, rising, fading, fading. That's another. Yeah, it's another one of those one of those Simpsons memes that persists to this day. That urge to kill, rising, and it's okay. Tony Awards today might be different, but Tony Awards in 1990, I can see why it would that tur- it would turn Homer Urge to Kill Rising. Well, I mean, I still watched the Tony Awards in the 1970s. <laughs> Again, I was so that kid, wasn't I? Man, I am just sitting here having an epiphany of how I turned into this adult. Uh- <laughs> 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 Boy, if you ever wanted to know how I how I turned out the way I am. Uh no, but yeah, I was like, okay, yeah, no. Why why are you even mad, Homer? It's Tony Awards. You can sit down and watch the Tony Awards. Shut up. I think it's because <laughs> of the musical number that's the host. It's like, Dad, change the channel. Can't frozen. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm like that's that's a good family time right there, Homer. You shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's that that to me was was always a fun time. You know, I always liked the the line where Marge finishes his line about you know. No TV and no beer make Homer something something go crazy. Don't mind if I do. <laughs> you know that's that's always been. Uh, there are so many good lines in in this one. Yeah, and it's a great parody of The Shining. Yeah, it sticks kind of very close to The Shining without some of the more disturbing ones. You know, I didn't uh, I, I didn't want some of those scenes in a Simpsons parody. Thank you very much. But, I mean, it even gets a shout out as uh, as Maggie is spelling red rum with her with her toy bricks, uh, toy blocks. Yeah, the Maggie and the blocks with the the red rum is real really fun because at one point you do see her. There's there's a reverse angle before the cable gets cut when Homer is watching TV, and you see Maggie spell out murder on the reverse side, <laughs> and Homer can't see it. And just before the cable cuts out, you see her spell out red rum for Homer to see. Um, But if you look very quickly, when you see, like, Homer looking at the TV, you can see on the ground she has spelled out murder um, just for the audience to see. And then when it goes into the reverse shot and you see the TV for it to blink out, she's spelled red rum. But could I use the, at least one second of one of the one of the kids looking at their finger? I Again, mean, yeah, it's probably one of those but, one of those jokes that they they just did not have time for. Yeah, it's it, everything has to go so fast, so a lot of it got got cut out. But yeah. So our our final story, we're going straight to Treehouse Seven, the Genesis Tub, based off another. Twilight Zone episode, The Little People. Uh, the, the Twilight Zone episode, two astronauts land on a planet where they find the population of uh, one inch, to- one inch ho- tall people. One of the astronauts kind of gets a god complex and kind of tries to become their god. First a benevolent god, then a vengeful god. The second astronaut says, hey, uh, our ship's repaired. We got to go. 
first Genesis says, no, I am God. I am going to stay here and be God to these people. Second astronaut leaves. Not long after, another team of astronauts who are extremely giant-sized land on the planet, to which uh, our first astronaut says, no, I'm God here, not you. And they kind of squish him like a bug. That's the That's the episode. Now let's see how the Simpsons handle it. <laughs> it's science fair time, and Lisa is making up her science fair project. How how Cola works on a tooth, saying science has ruined so many things, and it's time for her to ruin soda as well. He says as he drinks his soda, recording a podcast. So uh, Bart also comes in with his science fair project on static electricity. Shocks Lisa, who then shocks the tooth, the combination of static electricity, the tooth, and the soda create life. Lisa is very shocked that she has created life. She first needs this mold. She goes, look at it. Oh, I've created life. I've created my own universe. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the first big difference is that whereas in the Twilight Zone episode, they just find an alien species that lives on this planet. Lisa actually, there is a species that evolves from her DNA. She goes down for breakfast. She comes back and realizes that her peep that these that these little people have evolved from all the way up to the Renaissance era. From because she when she went down from when she woke up, they were cave people. When she goes to breakfast and comes back, they've already read us. They're already in the Renaissance era. And I created Lutherans. <laughs> yeah, she sees one of them nailing something to the door of a cathedral. She realizes that it's a a tiny their version of Martin Luther nailing the ninety five theses to the door, and she realizes, oh, I've created Lutherans, <laughs> which has always been possibly my favorite line from that episode. And uh, the day the next day passes, and they have evolved past modern day into the future, already with advanced technologies. And, of course, Bart comes in. Hey, it looks like you made a little city. Oops, my finger slip. Oops, my finger slip. Oops, my finger slip. Crushing every, crushing their cities and crushing their people. Well, the thing is, is that I don't think at this point Bart realizes there's people in there. He says, I think what he says is you made a model city. Yeah, he thinks this is a model. He doesn't think that these are actual people. And Lisa, you know, says... Like, stop it, you're hurting them, or or whatever. It is fascinating that they have the, you know, the speed at which they're going is so quick that they're able to rebuild and also build spaceships. That attack Bart. They, yeah. So yeah. they, ships that go into, quote, outer space to attack the, the to, to attack Bart. Yeah, so there's the the cool little bit where the spaceships go out of Lisa's room and and attack Bart. I don't know how they knew to do this, but, you know, it's a short, so don't ask too many questions. This angers Bart, and he tells Lisa, the second you're not watching over them, I'm flushing that whole civilization down the toilet because they attacked me. And so Lisa 
promises that she's going to protect civilization um, and she won't let Bart destroy it. But that's when they decide to shrink her into the tub. Nice little, nice little, uh, Dr. Frank. Yeah, the nice little Professor Frank uh, in inside the thing that uh, has uh, debigulated her. <laughs> they have decided to bring God into their universe, have to her protect live them. With them. Yeah, and of course, everyone has questions for God, Lisa. I don't know why these bad things happen to good people and all this stuff. Stuff that she really can't answer because. I don't know if they intended to make this a religious argument or not. <laughs> because what if you could talk to God and he says, uh, it was an accident. I didn't mean to create you. <laughs> well, I mean, that is one of the art. I mean, that that's kind of the point of deism is that, you know, that is a theological argument in and of itself is that God exists, but God just kind of, set the universe in motion and then walked away. There was a creator, but that the creator does not actually care or oversee the universe. I mean, that it's a legit the- theological argument. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the, the idea that, that Lisa is going, well, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, creating you was an accident, you know? I mean, she doesn't say it, but that is, what happened here, you know, uh, is a philosophical argument that has been proposed <laughs> by by people throughout the centuries. You know, yeah, perhaps something did create us, but perhaps it, you know, it did it either with intention and then got bored and wandered off, or maybe it didn't intend to and wandered off, or you know. Whatever. He's an absentee landlord, as uh, as Al Pacino said in The Devil's Advocate. <laughs> yeah. Having having the idea that, that Lisa just kind of accidentally created life and had no plan for it. Um, Other than is, getting a is, gift certificate out of it. <laughs> is, you know, it, it's, it, it's an interesting one. Um, this whole thing was an accident. And oopsie. But now she's trapped in there with them and she's trying to tell them, if you make me big again, I can protect you, but I can't do anything if I'm trapped in here with you. And of course, Professor Frank is like, well, that would, you know, that would be impossible. Yeah, I I would need to be able to make you big again. That's absolutely impossible, Uh, you know. Bart comes and grabs the tub and Lisa is screaming, no! But it turns out that Bart doesn't flush the tub. He just takes it and gets an A at the science fair and (laughs) wins the gift certificate. And of course, you see Lisa just completely drop any pretense she's ever had. And like, it's like, it's like the smart Lisa was like a, 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 a charade and you kind of see the real Lisa is like Principal Skinner I created the universe give me the gift certificate <laughs> well the thing is you can be smart and want people to validate you and like she just complete her mood completely changes is like she looks at them from being nice you know I'll, I'll help you like aren't you supposed to be groveling to me 
Like, her demeanor completely changes. Well, that is kind of the ending of the Twilight Zone episode, too, except she doesn't get crushed here. Yeah. You know? She has a slightly happier ending in that she will theoretically continue to live out her life with the people she created. That's kind of the way that that guy acted in the end, too. It's like, I'm the god here, you know? Pay pay attention to me. So, uh, that that is more in line with the, the episode uh, that it was based off of, even though it took... Almost nothing, almost nothing from it except the general premise of being a god to a tinier race of beings. The more interesting thing about this episode, though, is all of the things that it spawned. The main one that everyone will think of is the South Park episode, Simpsons Already Did It, Mm. uh, where Butters is trying to think of ways to take over the world and just keeps getting told that Simpsons already did that in an episode. But the the plot or whatever is that Cartman gets sea people and they end up being just brine shrimp. He thinks he's going to get little mermaids or, or whatever, but they're, you know, brine shrimp. He accidentally ends up creating a race of people like that Lisa does in Genesis Tub. Cartman ends up, you know, making them worship him as a god and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it spirals out of control, um, at which point Butter's notes that this is exactly like the Treehouse of Horror episode Genesis Tub. Um, and then they point out, Chef points out that, well, no, Simpsons just took that from a Twilight Zone episode. They they didn't even originate that idea. And the whole thing points out that Simpsons has been around forever. Of course, you're not going to find anything that Simpsons hasn't already done. And, of course, that episode uh, aired in 2002, and they were already talking about how long Simpsons had um, had been on the air by that point. 20, 20 years later. <laughs> yeah, and 20 years later, you know, we're still talking about Simpsons and South Park still being going concerns. There's, of course, the Futurama episode as well, where Bender accidentally ends up becoming a god to a tiny race of humanoid. That are, yeah, that are growing on him. I remember that episode. Yeah, uh, people, um, because he's floating in space and a little asteroid crashes into him and it contains life and that the life grows on him and you know, and it ends up ending up the it, basically the same way as the South Park episode, except that it aired just a few months before the South Park episode. You know, the the society evolves, it ends up 
splitting into two societies. They end up going to war with each other. They develop nuclear weapons. They end up nuking each other out of existence. Bender is left floating alone in space. He ends up meeting God, who helps him get back to Earth and back to his friends. It's fascinating that the two episodes that, you know, spun off of it, one of which was made by basically the same people that made the Simpsons episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, You said that you didn't know if the Simpsons meant to, to make a statement on religion, but the Futurama episode definitely did. The interesting thing is, is that all of these episodes end up going back to a story called the microcosmic god <laughs> which is from the 1940s and it's kind of where the twilight zone episode and the, the Matt Groening stuff and the you know south park stuff it all kind of got their ideas from it's fascinating all these little things that can spin off of these ideas when you're when you're tracing these things because there's the the idea that humans only have a, a finite amount of stories i mean we've talked about that before on the show mm -hmm. um and that they just kind of spin off in infinite combinations you know i i don't know if you want to call the the rick and morty episode kind of a spin off of this as well but there's the, the Rick and Morty episode where he's got the universe inside the universe inside the universe that powers his car. <laughs> it's got Stephen Colbert in it. You know, it's like he's got the he goes in and he's like, you know, I created a universe to power my car. And then he discovers that, like, the Stephen Colbert character has built a universe to power his universe and so they go into that universe that like and each one of them considers like Stephen Colbert's universe considers Rick to be a god and then they go into Stephen Colbert's created universe and they consider Stephen Colbert to be a god and then like and each one of them starts slowly realizing like wait this guy just he's just the dude that created us to be a battery to power his like oh my god my life is meaningless you know I mean, you can also kind of go to the first Men in Black, but that's more of a end credit gag. Yeah, but I mean, it is or even is Marvel a similar kind of. Yeah. yeah, Marvel. And, I mean, we're we're getting an entire movie, Quantum Mania, about this. It it is it is fascinating the the idea of of that. You know, uh, there's a a similar story. Uh, that George R. R. Martin wrote that was turned into an episode of Outer Limits in the 90s, the reboot Outer Limits that was in the 90s called The Sand Kings, uh, where a guy becomes kind of a god to a little alien creatures that dig in sand and they start creating like sand castles in the shape of him and stuff. It was like one of the bridges, I think like bow bridges or something maybe. And all that, and it kind of ends up going awry and stuff because of their worship of him and whatever. So, yeah, this this idea of, like, a human becoming a god to a smaller, in-size kind of civilization. 
is kind of a, a fascinating thing. And what would we do if we met, you know, I mean, we've already kind of dealt with it in, in Marvel with the Eternals. Yeah. And stuff, you know, what if the earth was an egg? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it, it is, it is a really interesting thing of, of all the, all the stuff, especially in animation. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're just taking it in the realm of animation, that this one little episode of, of Simpsons is kind of spawned. Uh, personally, while the Genesis tub is fascinating, I think the Futurama episode does it better because it gets to be a full length episode and they get to explore the philosophical themes that they couldn't do in the Simpsons. So if you want to see what, uh, Matt Groening's team can do with this same idea, but while actually exploring the philosophical and religious themes, go watch uh, the episode of, of Futurama. It's called Godfellas, and it is absolutely incredible. Uh, and I I love that. It's one of my favorite episodes of Futurama. All right, so uh, let's ask the question, Kiki. Does The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror have the magic? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I still I still love the Treehouse of Horror uh idea and the stuff that they're they're doing. I would say yes as well. Even the more modern Treehouse of Horrors, it's going to have at least one segment that you're really going to like. And especially these old classic ones, they still hold up. Disney Plus has all of the Treehouse of Horror episodes that have aired so far, and uh, you can see them in order on in their little Halloween collection. If you go to their, uh, if you go to that, uh, yeah. So let's move on to next week. Ooh, we're actually getting into some real horror next week. Jennifer's Body. Yes, Disney owns this movie because this is a 20th Century Fox film. If you've been on for the Kind of easygoing, like, oh, I'm just, I'm I'm getting my spoops on because it's spooky season and we're doing the comedy and we're doing the Simpsons and we're, this might be the time to get off the ride for the rest of the, (laughs) of of the month. Uh, We'll, we'll see you after uh, because we're, we're getting into the real scares now. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen this movie completely. So it's going to be kind of a first time view for me. Uh but you know it's 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 Megan Fox. Your mileage may vary on Megan Fox, but I've always heard good things about this movie. So uh can't wait to finally check it out. Yeah, cult cult classic that's kind of getting its moment again. So we're going to go back and uh talk it over next week, so Yeah, come back next week for Jennifer's Body, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. If you want to help the fight for human rights in the U.S., the American Civil Liberties Union works to protect constitutional rights for all Americans. Their website is aclu.org. If you need reproductive services in the U.S. or wish to donate to those who do, Go to abortionfunds.org for more info. The battle isn't over until the last person surrenders.
The fight continues. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.